Hey everybody, welcome back to the Archer World Podcast Show. I'm Joe. This is Henry. And today we're going to talk about the top pin shoot that just happened in uh, near Kellogg, Idaho at uh, uh, one of the ski resorts there. So Henry uh, got to go to that and he shot teams with Kyle Douglas. And so uh, kind of explain um, how that shoot works, Henry, to everyone and then uh, the format and, and what your intent was when you were going there and what your plan was. So it's kind of a two-part tournament. You have your individual, and then you've got your team event. Uh, individual, you're just trying to shoot the best score that you can. Team event, you kind of got to strategize a little bit because there are bonus rings available on the on the targets. So how it works is there there's your normal ASA scoring of 12, 10, 8, 5. But then throughout the entire tournament, 14s are in play. Now the 12s and the 14s are painted, and so you can actually see them. So they kind of taunt you a little bit when you're looking at 35 yards and you see a big 14 down there. You kind of want to always go for it. Um, but just basically, like, when you're shooting kind of teams, you kind of got to play back and forth. Me and Kyle, you know, we took a different approach. And, and we just – the team came second. So we were more worried about individual score, shooting the best we could because we knew that if both of us could shoot our game – then we'd be pretty tough to beat on the team side. So we didn't really play the course too much as far as that. We communicated a little bit as far as like, man, this looks like it's 14-able, you know. And then we'd both be like, yep, we're going for it. Or like, you know, there was one that I talked him out of because his stuff was hitting a little high. There was one where he's like, ah, I don't know, it's 14-able, you know. And so we just kind of played back and forth more for our individual side than the team side just because we kind of knew that it would, it would take its course. Um, you know, and so then once you shoot, you know, you shoot 20 targets each day, once you, once you finish those 20 targets – like on Saturday, you're just done for the day. Uh, you can shoot some of the novelty shoots. They got a long shot. They've got uh, another one. I can't quite remember what it is. But anyways, you, you've got a couple different shoots that you could do at the end. And then it's just a cool ski resort in its whole. So you can just hang out, watch the mountain bikers. It's pretty fun to see which ones come down all mangled up in their bikes and stuff like that. Um but then on Sat on Sunday, once the competition is done and all the scores are turned in, then they do the uh, shoot-offs or shoot-ups, right? And so uh, they they shoot off every tie, as far as the classes that don't get uh, money or anything like that. Then when you get to like the pro or the money classes, then they take the f top five people of each class. So you're shooting the entire weekend just for a chance of that top five spot once you get that top five spot then now you're looking at it a little different scenario now you're going into a shoot off you got all five people lined up and you have to play you you just have to strategize based off of what everybody else is doing so for me like kyle it didn't matter if i went out there and shot every 14 i would need him to miss two targets and then hit tens the rest of them just to catch up to Kyle because he pretty much tromped me on day two. Um, so I was in second. I had a six-point lead over third place. So I was playing to third where that third-place guy could catch me or he could he could lose his position. And so uh, 
Kyle just went for every 14 just because he had nothing to lose. And he shot a couple eights. He shot a couple 14s. His placing never changed. Me, I stayed the same, but it's just because once I went out there, I strategized. I knew that the first target that I had was 14-able. So I shot 14 at that, went 12-12. And then the by that point, I had about a 10 or 15 or 12 point lead over third place and i played it safe all the way to the last target then i decided to shoot a 14 and i shot an eight but my placing never changed and then third place never changed now third place was only all said and done the guy in fourth was only one point away from him in third place because the guy who was in fourth went for all 14s to try to catch up and almost did so, you know, you got to be able to kind of strategize and know when to hit hammer down and when to lay off and, and when to go for them and when to not and just play play the field. And you, you almost have to play your game and then you almost have to strategize and figure out what the other guy is going to do a little bit, too. And it's like running a race a little bit. So what you're talking about, like, uh, you know that you might it might be hard to catch Kyle in first place as the individual, but you knew if you just shot really safe in third place that if the third place shooter which was i think sean vincent he's a really good friend of ours too if he was hammering down and you were shooting safe he could have caught you so you had to keep the pressure on him too so you had to make him realize he's got to try to catch you not just he will catch you so that that's for sure part of the strategy and part of the fun on those because you're never really out of it um you can put yourself out of it by uh, doing the wrong thing but if you your strategy is well uh, it'll it'll pay off so individually Kyle got first uh, Henry got second and Sean got third in the pro division um, and as a team um, even though you got second as an individual Kyle got first as an individual as a team you guys won the individual yeah our um, team event, or the yeah. team event rather uh, so that's part of the, that strategy so your guys are trying to help each other like you and Kyle are obviously shooting together as a team so you want to dominate as a team very much like Reading, but you're shooting individual scores too so you want to help each other out and not watch anyone fall on their face so you're always wanting each of each of you to shoot the best that you can um, that's that's really cool about that shoot. So there's several different categories. Uh, there's senior open pro. There's uh, women's uh, open uh, as well. And uh, we have uh, some good shooters in the Northwest uh, that went to that shoot, uh, that shoot for Archery World um, that shot well at it too. Uh, Tim Davis won senior open pro. Um, the senior men's open. And uh, Christina Davis uh, pl- placed... Um, Oh, man, uh, she's going to get mad if I get it wrong. It's either second or third. Uh, she podiumed on the as an individual, too, and then they had uh, couples uh, team events, too, where they might not have shot together, but they combined a couple scores if they were signed up for that, and they did well in that, too. Um, the So we had some uh, really good shoots, and it was good weather, uh, too, from what I understand. And um, as far as on the mountain um, – you know, it is a, a ski resort. So it, in this particular ski resort, it has uh, supposedly, and I believe it, it, you know, I have no reason to not think it's true. It has the longest gondola on in the world, or at least in the United States, I believe I read. So that's a pretty cool ride, I'd imagine, to get up there. So from the parking lot, uh, or from the staging area, you have to get on the gondola with however many people and ride all the way to the top before you even get to the chairlifts that go even higher on the mountain. So 
Um, explain what that's like to people that have never done it. So you get on the gondola and that takes you up to basically what is base camp or whatever on for the shoot. That's where the, the tents are and things like that. Registration is down on the bottom, but up in that mid area is where uh, the second day course usually starts and then uh, where all the long shoots are and things like that. Then to go to like the the other course, you got to take two ski lifts to get up there. So one takes you back down the backside of the mountain on the other side, and then you get on another one that takes you up to the peak. Um, it's not too physically demanding of a course. Most of your hiking's downhill on that second or on that first day course. The second day is a little bit more hiking, but it's still not bad. It's not like some of the mountain challenges or any of that stuff so it won't break you as far as like how they lay the course out it's not designed to do that but the shots are hard and since the 12 ring and the 14 ring are in play at all the distances um that makes it pretty unique so you what's the longest uh shot that there is on that course uh this year was 69 yards so normally it's about 70 max uh then we had a three yarder that actually shot tor more towards two just because of the steep angle that it was at but yeah you you're not shooting too far away uh they do their their bow hunter class is a modern bow hunter class so you are able to use slider sights uh, a lot of people using single pin sliders for that class things like that so if you're a bow hunter you shouldn't feel too bad about shooting that course because most of you guys if you're shooting a five fixed five pin are going to be 20 through 60 so you're just aiming pretty much at the back of the animal on that one um but other than that it's a pretty pretty good easy shoot that that's fun to go to so a couple of classes that are very common at these shoots are going to be open which is going to be freestyle essentially it's going to be long stabilizers back bars uh scopes um and then range finders are in play. You can use range finders on this course. Uh, they want you to know the distance because the shots are already hard enough and the angles and the side hills are already there. Um, and another uh, very popular class is the modified bow hunter uh, freestyle class, which is gonna be typically five fixed pins with a stabilizer coming out of the front, no longer than 12 inches. And then you can have a back bar that's the same, no longer than 12 inches. But with this modification, it allows you to use a mover like a Fast Eddie or a Black Gold uh, Mountain Light or anything that has a slider sight. CBE makes uh, quite a few too. Um, and uh, that lets you shoot point on for all your shots. So they give you that uh, caveat that you can move your sight to the shot, but you cannot use, if you're in a bow hunter freestyle, you cannot use a magnified lens. Um, so uh, you're, you can use an up pin or a side pin, uh, but it can't be magnified, uh, whereas freestyle it can be. Um, so there's advantages to both. And, and freestyles typically turn into higher scores of the course because the long stabilizers and the magnification helps. And I'll give you this, it's on good weather weekends. If the weather's terrible and the wind's high and the rains are coming sideways, typically freestyles don't turn in the highest score because there's a lot more to deal with in your uh, keeping your lens clean and the stabilizer's getting blown around more in the wind. So your bow hunter class turns into uh, a competitive class then too. Um, so uh, Henry, so when you guys, so, you finish up the final day, the top five shooters individually go to a shoot up and then you shoot the targets again 
the ranges are random on it and you shoot five targets um, to see who how everybody places in that top five so um, your scores from the previous day still hold but it still gives the top five a chance to keep accelerating their score to see how high it can get and if anyone can pass each other in the top five um, correct that, um, so on um, as far as I know Kyle uh, made it now to uh, Yankton he's at the the shoot there that's it's like a it's like a three challenge shoot. I'm not sure of what the, how they call it that, but there was a field shoot they're finishing up uh, today and they're going straight into the Dakota Classic um, this afternoon. So, Correct. Uh, and then tomorrow that shoot will end with um, um, an outdoor field round. Um, Mar and that's so today today's the animal round so they're going to shoot 28 animals and then i think they go straight into basically what would be an american round but i'm not sure i haven't kind of i i didn't take too much to as far as figuring out what they're doing and winning all that stuff but i know uh Today they'll shoot two events or start the start of two, you know, the second event. Tomorrow yeah. they'll shoot another one and then we get into the weekend and then they'll end up having another event. So it is a three three event weekend. I just can't remember specifically the three events. I know Field Nationals already started. Today's the last day of that. Um it, Kyle Douglas was sitting in third. Braden Gillantine was first, and I couldn't remember who was second at the moment. I think Stefan Hansen. Um, so those guys will finish up, and then uh, they'll crown the champion for field nationals. And then so there will be three champions this weekend: one for field nationals, one for uh, the target nationals, and then one for that third event that they're going to have. Um, now, like a lo local shooter, Blake Jerome, he was leading the. Uh, amateur class he shot a clean 560 yesterday uh on the hunter round which that you know out of the out of the two rounds the hunter one for me is typically the easier one um there's a lot more people have shot 560s on that particular round than the field round too because it may be a little easier target to aim at but the reason i was bringing this shoot up is because we do have a local shooter uh bodie uh turner he's there too and he is 14 years old. He's for sure an archery prodigy. So uh, at 14, he was allowed to sign up as an NFA event one class higher than he currently is. So he signed up as a young adult. So he's shooting from all the adult stakes, but he's shooting against the young adults. He would have shot in the pro division had they allowed him to sign up for that. And on uh, the first day at 14 years old, had they counted his X's, because um, they only count the X's in the pro division, he would have been leading the entire field. That's how good of a shooter he is. So, um, so the second day in the hunter, uh, the hunter round, I think he dropped four and he fell back to second place because the shoot the person that's in his category also is uh, a few years older than him, but he's a really great shooter too. So we're hoping and wanting to keep an eye on Bodie because he's shooting excellent. Um, there's no reason. Uh, that he shouldn't make his living shooting a bow, especially as soon as he's able to sign up into the pro division all the time. There are some shoots that he can go to that they don't care, uh, pro or not, if you want to pay the money, you can do it like Vegas is one of those and a few other uh, categories. But when you shoot an official NFAA tournament, they only allow you to sign up one class above where you're at. Um, so um, let, let, we'll 
talk to him when he gets back. We've been keeping up with him on how he's doing, and he's, he's shooting excellent. Um, but, um, Henry, as far as um, now the summer's here, um, you're managing the battleground shop. Uh, the work's coming in like crazy. Um, and now's the time for us on the West Coast. Our season typically opens at the end of August or the beginning of September for hunting season. Um, so with everyone knows and has heard and, and has felt the delays of uh, getting products in no matter what it is. It could be a hat that you want from your local store. It could be the bow that you've been dreaming about for a year. Um, if it's not on the shelf right now, it's probably not likely to come in. It could be the new car tires you want. Uh, everything's been delayed because of it started with COVID and then just the supply chain got disrupted with everything that went on and then supply and materials, raw materials are hard to get. So getting work in uh, the shops to get tune-ups and everything else done is important. So how many bows do you think you tune a year? Um, I know this is a random question, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick you to a number. So let's, let's imagine a, a number, uh, that you tune a year. Well, I, I would say over 500 bows a year is what we get, you know, through the shop to get tuned up and stuff. And I would say, you know, I, I try to do at least half of those if I can, um, sometimes try to get more sometimes it ends up being a little less but i would say my my number of personal bows that i tune is probably between 250 to 500 a year is yeah. what what i'm trying you know what i'm getting through uh well and the reason i ask that is this is um it it kind of brings up something that i think about a lot when people wonder how you know pro shooters gain experience uh, and somebody in Henry's position where he's managing a pro shop um, at, at one of our locations. Uh, one year of working in a pro shop typically can give you a decade's worth of experience as far as all the bows and the tunes out there. So when it comes to tuning your own bow, of course that helps you because when you're tuning um, and you shoot for PSE right now, so it helps you tune other people's bows. I mean, we carry more than just that line, but let's focus on PSE for a second. So um, as you focus on a few things that makes your bow shoot better, that's easy for you to take straight to the customer's bow too to make it shoot better. And, and uh, it's what we feel like helps us stand apart when it comes to those tunes. Now, that doesn't mean other shops hadn't figured it out, but you know, our, our tunes are pretty proprietary to us. Uh, we do factory tunes, but then we can go beyond that too. So some people just want the factory tune and they feel like it shoots uh, the best or as good as they'll ever be able to shoot. So they leave it there where it is. And some people want to kind of take it to that next level. And when they do, um, that's where your experience comes in. Um, so as far as some of the things that you've done to your bow, uh, and I know every bow is different. Like, uh, I think you you took your citation to uh, 36 to the mountain, mm -hmm. that we shot? Yeah. What'd you do to, prior to that from uh, redding till the top pin to make that bow shoot even better for you? Well, I, I, I did some things that I wouldn't do on a customer's bow. I put some brass knock sets in a pretty unorthodox spot, but for that particular bow it just made it to where it shot a little bit better with how i had it currently set up um not saying that it wouldn't have tuned any other way it's just i was just experimenting with some stuff and and 
you know, there's a lot of things that I do to my personal bows that I would never do to a customer's bow. That's but, just the way that it is. Well, not initially, but that's kind of how we we get better, right? So if we go back five or six years, the things you were experimenting with your bow that you wouldn't have done to a customer's bow, now we, we find pretty easy to do to a customer's bow because we know immediately it's going to make it shoot. Right. Um, so this is kind of like the beginning stage. This is why I brought it up is because I know those knock sets um, – made you feel like that bow was shot more consistent now does that mean it will for everybody we don't know yet so we're all right uh so backing up just a little bit uh it got cut off so we're we're talking about um like what henry did before he went to top pin to his bow um he was trying some things that he thought would make his bow shoot more consistent and the reason that we're talking about this and why we don't do it to every single person's bow that comes in is because we don't know that it's going to work for every single person's bow right now it's kind of more into the uh trial uh and error phase and we're going to see that uh, result more consistently through uh, somebody like Henry's hands that can actually shoot a bow really consistent or a pro's hands that um, that they're a really great shooter and and if that vets out and it works well for him over a period of time in different conditions and different sets of arrows and different uh, configurations that he sets that up then it's pretty easy to want to start to implement that into customers bows as we see it has a positive effect but at that point, you still don't start putting it on every single person's bow because it just may not work for a different model. Uh, just like a rifle um, might shoot a different bullet slightly better than the uh, another rifle, that's the only difference is a two-inch different barrel. And we all know how that works because a lot of us are familiar with uh, uh, you know shooting platforms. This, uh, so think of a bow as a shooting platform, and you're trying to figure out what makes that platform shoot the best with the setup that you want to shoot it at. And um, not all your bows shoot the same, and you have to change things for different ones, even if you're shooting the same arrows through a different bow, right? Correct. And the biggest thing that I'm finding with this is not that you have to put brass knock sets in weird spots like I, I did on my bow, because I, I think I would have got the same uh, outcome if I would have just increased the amount of knock sets from the factory on the top and bottom of the string it's just not got enough string weight in itself and so what was happening is i was getting a weird whip because it was trying to counteract the weight of the peep well if i would have added uh more you know at least three three more on the top and three more on the bottom of brass knock sets because my cam only comes with one and one it probably would have got the same outcome that i got but i didn't have serving there and i didn't have time to put serving there and I wasn't going to crimp brass knock sets onto a bare string because that's one way to jack up your string real quick. And so I had extra serving where the where the string stop went, and that's where I ended up putting my experimental weights on. Um, sure. Man. You know, doesn't mean that I won't order a string now that's got serving going down a lot longer and try it that way, but that would be the more, you know, regular and systematic way versus just adding brass knock sets in the in the oh string stop area 
Sure. Well, and that's how we, you know, the industry gets better too. So, and that same system might not work for somebody shooting a larger or heavier peep or a lighter peep. So if you run like a rad quarter inch peep, that's going to be a little bit heavier peep or a Hamsky uh, target uh, version of their peeps or SAP. All those peeps weigh similar, but there's enough difference that one, two, or three different knock sets, brass knock sets may make a difference. So, um, so the reason that we're mentioning that is we just want you to know that you never stop tuning your bow. So if you get it shooting really good, um, the object is, is to, is that as good as it's going to get, or do you feel like you can get it to shoot better? So you, you end up passing perfect a lot of the times. And sometimes you go back one step in what you were trying to make the bow shoot better. Um, that's that's the name of the game so there's uh, these bows that come out of the factory right now can easily shoot a sub two inch group at 20 yards in in multiple people's hands with not doing any special tuning at all on it so we're not talking about something that's going to shoot a six inch group at 20 yards and then you're trying to make it shoot better we're talking about the average person can shoot a two inch group at at 20 yards with it pretty consistently because the bows are better than they've ever been they've not tried to increase speed dramatically over the past five or seven years they've tried to increase accuracy dramatically and we see that in the industry daily when it comes to a person that's never shot a bow very much can come in and start shooting well now the trick is can they make that two inch group shrink down to a one inch group over the course of a little bit of trial and error and stabilization and good sight setup and and good form and technique you can never um, practice enough form and technique and train enough in certain areas and that's kind of what um we we emphasize more here than anything else uh, and if somebody's got an older bow it might take them a little longer to get good at shooting at it because those old classic um the com conventional limb configured bows just had more kick to them and it took a little bit longer for you to learn to shoot them um, compared to the parallel limb bows that are out there today with long risers and a lot more stability in the center of the bow um Henry, um, as we move forward into the season, uh, do you got anything else um, that you're planning or is it just going to be um, get to hunting season and prepare for a uh, hunting bow and set up for that? Yeah, now it's just get through the busy season in the shop and kind of get my myself ready for a little bit of hunting season. But it's primarily just going to be making sure that we get the customers bows out, you know, it, it done right and as quick as possible so that they can get back and feel comfortable for their hunting season and making sure that everybody's got a successful year you know successful year as they can with with the equipment that they have and uh what hunting bow do you plan on using uh so i'm using a little bit older model i've got a pse carbon air 34 i've shot it the last couple of years um i just haven't found a reason to, to change i might get a new hunting I, I thought about getting a new hunting bow this year i really like the evil um I just didn't have time and and but every time i thought about it something came up or i was getting ready for a shoot or something so hunting hunting for me kind of takes back burner because it's not the bread and butter uh I, I i enjoy it and my couple year old bow still performs just as good as some of the new ones and so i just shooting an older model right now sure well and and that's and 
you hyper tune your target bows, your hunting bow, you can do that. But like we were just saying, you could pick up your hunting bow and not do anything from the wall to the the field and and shoot a. Um, you you're probably capable of shooting around a two inch group at sixty yards, right? Or, right. or maybe even a little bit better. So it isn't like you've got to do a lot of special tuning to your hunting bow to make it kill and hit the heart and lungs of an animal. Um, you're you're trying to hyper tune your target bow because you need that thing to beat everybody that shows up that day. Right. I'm definitely a lot more relaxed with my hunting bow, um, and somehow I end up shooting better groups with that bow than I do my target bow sometimes. And so so that's an irritating thing, but. Uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm just trying to, you know, make sure I spend my time getting everybody else's bows ready because I know that I can build one in the headlights the night before I leave for hunting and go kill something because I've done that before. So yeah, well, and you're shooting year round, so it's not like you've got to learn how to shoot. It all you got to do is sight in the bow and go. Right. Um, so that's uh, the difference. So don't take that for what it is guys uh, and gals that are listening so don't get a bow the day before and go hunt if you've never shot archery because you want to go shoot something with a bow you need to put some time in and i think you probably shot probably i'd imagine 10 or 20 arrows this month <laughs> no. not a couple the, the biggest problem that i see with people is they try to treat this like rifle hunting and they and they get their bow they haven't touched it since last year they pull they come in here into the shop and pull it out of the case for the first time and then sometimes they got strings that are busted or uh something that you know that takes a little while to order in and they're leaving for a hunt the next day and we're jumping through hoops trying to get these guys taken care of but you know everybody can do themselves a favor and get their bows out in april even may's kind of pushing it but i would say february march april get your bow out and look at it and shoot it a little bit and make sure that we're not trying to overnight parts the day before you're leaving for a hunt because odds are especially with covid times it's not going to happen so uh the biggest thing anybody can do is just start practicing a little earlier and just make time even if you only get 10 arrows a weekend 10 arrows is better than none and 10 arrows is better than waiting the week before hunting season and trying to get get ahead of you know everybody else and and rushing things so yeah well you said it better than i could and uh, we'll wrap up um today's podcast hopefully um you got some insight about uh the top pin shoot it's a really cool shoot uh for sure it's going to be on my list next year to go to uh as well and uh next week we plan on interviewing uh so, uh, the Corey Miller. Corey Miller, he is the new rep for uh, Darton Archery and Black Eagle Arrows. Uh, so um, we're going to talk to him about what's coming up in the Darton line. We're excited about that line. Uh, they've been around forever. I mean, everybody that knows archery knows something about Darton, even though they might not know specifics. But we're excited that... Um, uh, Randy from Black Eagle owns it now, and, and the changes and the talks about what they're going to do are uh, pretty innovative. So we're uh, excited to talk to them, and then we can go over the Black Eagle lineup as well. So until next week, um, hope to hear. Uh, hope that you get to hear from us again, and we'll, we'll talk to you then. Be sure to check us out at the Archery World Pro Shop on Instagram. Uh, we got a Facebook, and if you guys got any questions, concerns, or want to hear anything in specific, go on ahead and email us or send send us a call or a message or anything like that. Uh, the best email for that's going to be Joe at ArcheryWorld.net. Thanks, guys.